millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. The Secret Library podcast is brought to you by Story Arcana, Tarot for Writers. Use the tarot to break through writer's block. You can get 10% off the course by using the code SECRETLIBRARY, all one word, at storyarcana.com. Thanks so much as well to our sponsor, Pretty by Post, a gorgeous subscription service of indie greeting cards or stationery. Visit prettybypost.com slash bookdoctor, that's book D-R, to learn how you can get free shipping off the lifetime of your subscription, which is a really amazing deal. Hey, it's episode 33 of the show, and today my guest is Kate Newberg of Bad Star Media. Kate attended Agnes Scott College, a women's liberal arts college in Decatur, Georgia, where she focused on classical civilization, religious studies, and education. And pursuing none of that, she now works as a cover designer. And her company is called Bad Star Media, which she founded in 2013. She's made a major pinky promise to help authors make a living from writing about romantic lives. She was born on Friday the 13th, super cool. And she is from her favorite city. She now lives in is Atlanta, Georgia. And you can find her pouring through bookstores and pointing out the next bestsellers before they hit the top 10 lists. So I'm really excited to have Kate on the show. We had a great time talking. Kate has an ability which I enjoy, which is to find really obscure corners of the internet and find crazy books that no one has ever heard of. So I definitely got into that with her. But the main reason I had her on was because our previous episode about cover design was so, so popular. And I wanted to revisit the topic um, because we talked with Leanna Smith last time in episode 13 about working for a publishing house and designing covers. And what Kate does is she works with authors who are maybe going to self-publish either in hard copy or on as digital media and then about the importance of cover design. And there are a couple of reasons why you would want to learn about cover design yourself, and she'll go into those on the show, um, some of which I hadn't thought of before. So I really enjoyed talking with her about kind of fonts, design. We definitely go into our most hated fonts, so get ready for some font snobbery. But I really, I felt that this was a topic that deserved more points of view since everybody's been so enthusiastic about it. So 
thanks for listening and I'm excited to have Kate. In addition, I really want to thank everybody who's been kind enough to leave reviews on iTunes and ratings. It makes a huge difference. And if you haven't done so, if I can make a plea to go on iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show, because the more ratings and reviews we have, the more leverage I have when contacting potential guests. So if a bunch of you have rated and reviewed, then they look at iTunes and go, oh yeah, this is good. We can go on this show. So the more ratings I have, the more power I can bring you. So that's the end of my soapbox. And now we'll get on to talking to Kate. So, hey, Kate, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. We had one episode quite a while ago about cover design, and (laughs) everybody was really into it. But that was about cover design for traditional publishing where the author has almost no say in the process of cover design. So I wanted to return to the cover in the new year, now that we are over the 2017 barrier, and look (laughs) at covers again, because as you and I have discussed, people do judge books by their covers, even though we've been told not to since we were little. (laughs) And So let's start, let's start there. Like, why do people judge books by their covers? And how did that, how do you see that happening? So when people are looking to buy basically an escape, they're looking for markers of books they've already bought, books that they've enjoyed. So of course, they're going to use the cover as a way to judge really quickly if that's something they're even interested in. So that's really just the the basis, right? And then also the professionalism for self-published books. You know, there's going to be a degree of professionalism displayed in the cover as well. It seems like an easy way to kind of dismiss a book because at this point, there are so many books out there. We're all kind of filtering through like, is this going to be any good? And it's, we're almost looking to dismiss more than we're looking to be excited because there's so much information. So what do you see as points like that people quickly dismiss? Like when you see like, oh, that's not going to be any good. What, what, what should people avoid basically with a cover? It's hard for me to say that you should avoid a book because that's just not my book loving nature. Why should you avoid a book? Of course, that's part of me as a book lover, but then me as a designer is like, yeah, but you kind of have to stand out in the crowd. So to avoid something, personally, I'm thinking of books I avoid. I'm thinking bad typography. So like either they didn't position it right or they're just having bad font choices that don't really convey that they know what they're doing. That sounds weird, but it's like there's certain fonts used for certain genres. So like historical fiction uses a certain font versus contemporary fiction, which uses more uh, what you might think of as contemporary fonts, you know, sans serif and serif, whereas historical uses more of the, the flourishy kind of the Duke's reason and it's got the flourish and stuff. So people are looking for those markers in typography. But I'm trying to see things that have turned me off from books before, hand-drawn things. Hand-drawn can look really cool, but it can also look very bad. So it's just, you have to really think about what you want as a reader or what your readers want from you, I guess is a better way to say that. I think it also depends on the topic because yeah, it, it may be safe to say if you've never hand-drawn anything before, this might not yeah. be the time to start. Yes. I've seen some of that and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> so I just kind of back off from it, but it's not necessarily anything. I've seen stuff that's been hand-drawn that's supposed to look like YA. So, you know, when think of back when we were in high school, we were doodling in notebooks. I've seen stuff like that. And some of it's conveyed really well, but some of it looks literally like they scanned it and then didn't 
do anything with it. They didn't optimize the image that they drew to fit that design. So they took like the rough draft of a piece of notebook paper with some drawing to convey this is a story for young adults. And so we're going to make a young adult cover that looks like they made the cover. Yeah, but then it should just be done better. Like you can take those drawings and then put it on a cover in a much more clean and well-designed way. So I want to go back to what you said before in terms of font choices. I think we need to name names on... I'm willing to name some names on fonts I never want to see on the cover of a book, but I'm wondering if you have a list and let's see if we feel the same way. We can go back and forth, name one font yeah, that we hate. Yeah, okay. Um, we may I'll have start, the same ones. Yeah, I'll start Papyrus. Oh, I was going to say Papyrus too. It It's one of those things that dates it very quickly. It, if you're thinking Papyrus, I always think like the 90s or even think randomly of spas. Yes. Like people that own their own spas, they'll use Papyrus on the sign. I don't know if you'd want to use papyrus on your book. Unless your book is about a spa. I don't know. I still in think you should move away from it. <laughs> it was very popular when I lived in San Francisco in the early 2000s. And whenever anyone was doing some kind of retreat or a workshop, they used a lot of papyrus. And I just see that sort of texture drag, you know, of the whatever it is, the flourish. And I'm just like, Ugh, I can't yeah. do it. For me, it's the, the cracks in the, the font. Yeah. <laughs> so much falls through those cracks. Literally so many things. And it's it's one of those things. I see a lot of people that are designing their own covers use papyrus. I don't know specifically why. Maybe because there is that they think it looks good. Or maybe because um, they're not aware of what other free fonts, commercially um, free fonts, they can use. And where they can download fonts for use. Yeah. Oh, let's come back to that because I think yeah. that'll be good. <laughs> but I want to name mine, which is yes. the, you know, it's so easy to hate comic sounds, but I don't think it belongs on the cover of your book, even if you're writing a kid's book. Yeah. It's just, it, it has, it's almost like to me, comic sans is the equivalent of like when an actor is extremely well known and has their own personality, and then they try to play a part in a movie where it would be better to have a lesser-known actor or somebody who hasn't been so typecast, (laughs) so that the personality of the actor is dominating the role even before you've had one line. I feel like Comic Sans works the same way. It is Hmm. such a a goofy little schmoo of a font. (laughs) And I just, no matter what you're writing about, I just don't ever feel like that that font's going to serve you. Yeah, it's definitely something that I think is better used for elementary school teachers or passive aggressive office notes than than on your book cover. Um, Because I'm trying to even think what genre would that convey? Like it might convey young education stuff. That's really about it. But I mean, it's even been spotted on ambulances. I mean, it's everywhere that font. (laughs) And it's like trying to make a difficult topic more friendly So the only way I can see it working is like if you have (laughs) like a year in review report and you're trying to do a cover and be like, this isn't going to be as painful as you think it is. Maybe, maybe (laughs) if you're trying to like, if it's like a joke. Yeah. But also it's on the, you saw it on the cover or at the side of an ambulance. That's like not a place where you want to see Comic Sans. Like that's a very serious vehicle. It has places to be. Like why are you going to put Comic Sans? That's enough. That's a tangent. That's a whole show. (laughs) Why are you going to put Comic Sans there? Might be a whole episode. But um, I think those are the two big no-nos. And I think that like Wingdings, 
I mean, I'm skipping ahead here. Wingdings is yeah. not a font. It's it's a set of symbols. Like you might pull out a symbol from Wingdings if you want to get creative with it. Um, like a smattering but, of Wingdings across the cover. Like I'm thinking like, oh, you want a peace sign and you don't want to download a peace sign. So you use Wingdings instead. <laughs> but like in what instance would you do that? Like, Yeah, you could probably really do depends. better than Wingdings. But yeah. I jumped ahead. I'm I'm stealing your thunder. So do you have another I, before we? And I'm I'm actually looking through my font library. This is one. This is one I see a lot. So uh, for your listeners out there, um, I design a lot of romance novel covers, and so I see a lot this a lot. And it's more of overuse. It's not necessarily a bad font. It's just overly used. Is Zap? I hope I'm saying this right. Zapfino. Oh yeah, I think I know that one. It's real, real scrolly. Yeah, it's got the the big swoops, and it's great for like, it's great in small doses. But I think it's been overly used a lot. So it's not necessarily a bad font. It's just it's very. I, when I see it, I cringe internally, or outwardly, either way. And nobody wants to have that impact. So, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. so I want I want to go back to what you said before, which is some people end up using these fonts, like. Comic Sans or Zappino or whatever, because they don't think there are other free fonts that they can use. So if somebody is feeling font adventurous, font curious, um, (laughs) where can they go? Because I am married to a designer, so I get to dive into his library, but not everybody has that kind of resource and fonts can be really expensive. So if somebody wants to check out a font, where should they go? So if you're looking for a commercially free font or a, a a font you can use commercially because I'm assuming you're going to sell your book. And if you're going to sell your book, it's considered commercial. So you want to make sure that you can use that font on commercial products like your book. And so off the top of my head, I would go to font squirrel. It's the animal.com and they have a, a whole library. Their whole shtick is hundred percent free fonts, meaning you can use them on commercial products. Um, the other one I use if I'm just starting out is DeFont. D-A-F-O-N-T.com. And you can actually filter your search to include 100% free because there's a difference between it being available for personal use versus commercial use. Right. No, and that's a good one too because you don't want to like have put all of this hard work into a cover if you've decided to do it yourself and then get yelled at because you're using somebody's font. (laughs) And then you're going to be like, see, I should have used Comic Sans, you jerks. (sighs) yeah you didn't tell us anything and honestly like yes fonts can be expensive but there's also um services like i'm thinking off the top of my head when i use this visual hierarchy which um does font packages and so once in a while like they'll have a bundle of like 15 fonts for like ten dollars so and these can be really scripty fonts or really that they usually have a theme like very floral or very whatever and so I usually will stock up on those as a designer because I want to have those options to to really have just a big font library for my author base. Got it. So what else goes into the color cover design? So like if you're going to do a good cover mm-hmm. and whether somebody's considering do it, doing it themselves or hiring someone else, what should they expect to be looking at in terms of the elements of a cover? So obviously with the typography, I'm, a, uh, I'm talking about things like title. Title and author name are the two most important things on your cover. Um, aside from that, people might have like a little like teaser blurb along the lines like she <laughs> she didn't think she would fall in love with him dot 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 type of stuff. But also maybe if they hit a bestseller list like USA Today or New York Times, they might include that under their 
their author name or above their author name or something similar like author of this other book over here that sold really well. So even if they weren't on a bestseller list, they're they're kind of separating themselves from their peers by indicating that they've done other things, right? Um, so those are the two big, like, oh, that's all font, right? But then also just you think of the art. So that might be stock photography or you might have had a photo shoot. You might have had um, an illustration or... And by illustration, I mean like either like a nice clean design or you might have hired an illustrator to provide art, simply like that. Yeah, or there may be graphic elements. I mean, I'm thinking yeah. also of something like I think the ultimate type cover I'm thinking of is like Jojo Moyes's books. Yes. Like Me Before You, her font treatments, at least in the U.S., are so definitive. If you yeah. If you Google Me Before You, image us cover you'll see what i mean like and yeah. it does have little flourishes and elements like little scrollies yeah. in it but that font like <laughs> that font is probably called jojo moyes now i don't think there's any way around it <laughs> now i'm actually I'm, I'm i'm resisting the urge to open up google what is that font what is this font um and i have similar fonts but they're not the same um there's some services you like Here's another thing. If you like a font, I always like to snap a picture of it because you can use services like Photoshop has a service. And I think Google has one. I just can't remember the name of it. That helps you search for a font, kind of like it through image search. Ooh, so that's that is a, very exciting. So you can be like, I like that font. Yes. Or it'll say like, I know it's specifically in Photoshop. Um, if any of your listeners use Photoshop and want to design their own covers, um, there is a new um, match font feature in the latest version where it'll actually say, you might not have that font, but here's fonts that are similar to that in your font library. Oh, clever. Yes. Font joy. There's so much font yes, joy. I know. I, I, <laughs> oh, and I think we're talking a lot about the, the, fr- uh, the front cover, the ebook cover basically. But there's so many more elements, of course, about what the when you consider the paperback, which we could get into. And that's like a whole conversation. So I'm curious of one other element that yeah. goes into a cover. And I don't know if this happens on digital covers, because I can't think of it right now. Because they also yeah. frequently when you buy a digital book or get one out of the library, they even skip it when you open the thing. So yeah. you only ever see it when you're searching for it. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about blurbs. Like, when people are willing to blurb your book and talk about what they like about it. And if it's somebody well-known, do you see as many of those? Because I think about those as hardcover book phenomena. Yeah, where it's like such and such author recommends this book because they liked it or something on the front cover. Yeah, or like Um, couldn't put it down on the front. And then they'll have longer ones on the back. I see that a lot more on, like you said, paperback or hardback, physical copies of books. Just because with the, the digital cover, you could have it, but it's going to get lost when it's shrunken down or people are just browsing the bestseller list. Um, it almost, it kind of just pollutes it and makes it busier. Whereas if you're just, if you're publishing just the ebook cover, you want it to be as clean as possible so that it looks nice. So if you have blurbs, maybe save them for a review area or in yeah. like a, they'll have those press blurbs in yeah. online vendors of books and you could put them in there as well. So maybe yeah. unless it's like, J.K. Rowling says, the best I've ever read. <laughs> You're going to put that really big. On You're going to put it like, forget the title. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> J.K. Rowling like this book. <laughs> Buy it now. You won't regret yeah. it. Um, yeah, but maybe maybe being able to put that in a different section so that people see it instead of it just yeah. going into the design. 
And if um, I'm thinking like most self-publishers, they do post their book to Amazon. That's most of where all those sales happen. There's an editorial review section for stuff like that. So you can set up your editorial reviews. It's separate from the blurb. And by blurb, I mean like the book description. Um, there's a place for you to put editorial reviews. So when you're designing a book, like what is your process? How do you start and go through start to finish with the whole process? I'm curious about like the nitty gritty. Yeah. So I think one, I definitely want to know what the author wants. I'm a little more collaborative in that nature because I want to make sure that not only is the author getting what they want, I want to make sure that it's something I'm going to be proud to have in my portfolio. That seems a little weird, but I want to make sure both parties are happy. And the way I usually do that is when I have a a conversation with the author, of course, but then I also ask them what styles of books are they drawn to? Because I want to know what they like as a a reader, but then also what kind of like what audience are they going after? So someone who might like, this is me just coming up with romance genres off the top of my head that I know are out there. Say an author is writing like a motorcycle gang romance but they are really attracted to Nora Roberts' style. Nora Roberts is very sweet, contemporary. That's going to be like, hold on. Okay, well, who's who's the buyer? Knowing that about if they like the Nora Roberts style, that kind of tells me a little bit about them as what they're looking for design-wise. But then it's like, okay, well, let's look at what people are buying in the motorcycle gang uh, romance genre. I didn't they, even know there was a motorcycle uh, gang well, romance well, genre. My goodness. Yeah, thanks to Son of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, but that's true. It's like if your if your reader wants something really kind of edgy and contemporary and you're trying to do like frilly Victorian, it's, it's going to be a mismatch. <laughs> Unless you're doing like J.D. Robb, which is one of Nora Roberts' pen names, which that's a little more grittier. So if you want to be a motorcycle gang romance writer, but you have this secret doily frilly kind of cozy mystery side, you might need a pseudonym and to do those separately. Yeah. One, just for branding purposes, like we could talk about branding and genre fiction all day. But if you're thinking visually, like you have to make sure that your reader, when they look at your book, they know what they're getting. Because if they don't get what the cover of your book is, they're going to review you badly. So it doesn't even matter if your book is good or bad. If they thought it was going to be like, oh, this looks like a cozy mystery. And there's like a like, I don't know how you could do this, like a, a a grandma version of like what a motorcycle <laughs> would look like, where it's like kind of pastel painted or whatever, I don't know, versus like the hard and gritty and there's lots of sex and there's lots of violence. And those two things mismatch. If your cover mismatches the content of your book, it doesn't matter how good your book is. It's just going to tell the, the reader that they bought the wrong book and they're going to review it poorly. Yeah. So even if your book is good, they have to feel like they've gotten the right book. So the first is, it sounds like, getting a match between the style of the cover and the content of the book. So number one, assess the content of the book. Yeah. And then number two, talk about design statements and maybe redirect as needed. Yeah. So once you have that visual look in place, what Mm -hmm. do you do next? Uh, Personally, I stick to the front cover because it's easy for me to churn out an ebook cover And then they can go ahead and once we decide on it later, they can put it up for pre-order. But I want to do the front cover because the front cover, once we have that, it's kind of going to dictate how the spine looks, but also the back cover. So I usually do two to three different designs. And then from there, we kind of narrow it down. So maybe they like the font of one 
but the placement of the other. And so I combine those two and I can, I go back and forth or I'll jump on a, a, like a screen share and we talk about it sort of thing. Maybe there's not enough Manchester, maybe it's too red or stuff like that. And um, no, people don't like it when you can see the guy's eyes. And I was like, that's weird, but I still go through with it because they also, especially for self-published writers that have been in the business longer, they really know what their readers want. And so I do like to take all that feedback and then kind of, narrow it down to create that front cover. And then from there, I'll design the rest of the book. So where are you getting the Manchester art or other? <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's like my main question. But yeah, and where You're might like... you get other art elements? <laughs> yeah, that you could include. So most of the time I work with um, stock photography sites. So this is like dreams time or I stock photo or something like that. It usually requires a very, very skilled search engine um, ability. So like, you can't just search for Manchester because yes, that will pull up some stuff, but that will pull up some ganky stuff. You don't want that. Um, but then you're like, okay, maybe I'm looking for shirtless dude, or, you know, you kind of have to kind of figure out what each stock photography website is looking for or how it, um, categorizes those. Uh, now I've also had some people that they've had photo shoots themselves where they're like, they paid a couple models, the models signed release forms. Um, the photographer, you know, got paid. And so they have their own stock photos in the sense of that that's the stock they are using, but that they are the photos that belong to them. Um, for my own books, I'll do, I hired an illustrator. And so I'll work with him. It takes him like a month or so to do a cover or to do the art for a cover. Uh, but we'll go back and forth. Similar to how I'll go back and forth with my authors, he goes and back and forth with me. So yeah, there's a couple different ways you can do that. And then there could be the Jojo Moyes just type option as well. If you're going to go all type, that is possible. And in our previous cover interview, she said, like, I've seen an increase in this happening because photography gets more expensive and it's a little cheaper to just use a font if it's good. Well, think about off the top of my head, Jillian Flynn's Gone Girl. Literally, it's just font and some wisps of hair. I can tell you those wisps of hair probably maybe cost someone 30 bucks if they did it on a stock photo site, and then they relied heavily on font placement. If they didn't find somebody in the design office who had hair to just (laughs) kind of... Of course, yeah. nobody can see it, but we're both like flinging our hair around. Um, <laughs> and just take a picture. Sure, you can use my hair and just throw it in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it is, it sounds like it's using the elements that are available, but using them tastefully. Yep. That's a really good um, segue into what I wanted to talk about a little bit was people when they design their own covers, and even like myself, I have to catch myself sometimes, it's like stopping before you do too much. If you do too much, it's going to look too busy and then it looks like you're trying too hard. Whereas if you kind of just stop when it looks good and clean and all kind of put together, don't put that shading, don't put that extra like little bit of blurb information. You want to make sure it's going to look good. So just stopping before you do too much. It sounds a little bit like that guidance in fashion, like take one thing off before you leave the house or like don't wear the earrings, the necklace, the bracelet and the belt. I mean, unless that's what you're going for, but it, it does seem like <laughs> yeah. a similar less is more. Let the book yes. speak for itself a la Coco Chanel. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, the book is going out on the town without you. You want to make sure it represents itself fine. So you just want to make sure like you just take that one element off, right? Whether it's the metaphorical ring or necklace. Yeah. Don't, don't make your book look like a floozy. Maybe yeah. that's what we're saying. But floozies might 
be sold more. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on the genre, but yeah, we could just go down. There's so many. Yeah, we could go down. She can look more. like a strumpet, but just not a floozy. You want to make sure it's a classy floozy to <laughs> illustrate value or something. <laughs> so what are some trends that you're seeing in covers? Like it sounds like drop shadow and all this sort of stuff. It's like, don't go that far. But what are you seeing yeah. kind of in covers that you're seeing these days across genres? So one, I'm jealous of all YA covers. Whenever I look at a YA cover, YA has the best covers. Like I will stay in the YA section and they're doing like really like almost like fantasy based, kind of like over the top, like royalty stuff, right? I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but like the series, the Red Crown, you know, series, you know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about with the glass and it's like blood and I'm like, oh, what's going on over here? But then you have the, the, I think her name's Marissa Meyer series, the Lunar Chronicles, that's what it is, where they're also doing kind of like that fantasy royalty fairy tale bent. So I see a lot of that, but I'm also seeing kind of like a lot more handwritten stuff or hand-drawn stuff in the sense that it's kind of like scribbled like with a, a Sharpie but it's put on top of a, it's layered on top of a, an image, like the PS I love you or something. I forget. Mm. It's not that, but you know, it's something like that where it looks like it's handwritten. Um, in terms of contemporary stuff. Um, the other one I want to throw in there while we're talking YA yeah. is I love V.E. Schwab's covers. Oh, yes. Because that's like tonal kind of stripped down with a lot of contrast, but that red kind of comes through and they're so distinctive visually that you immediately know it's her with the cover. Yeah. uh, I actually, now I'm like, let me look at my Pinterest board. Cause like literally what I do when I see stuff like that is I go, I have a secret Pinterest board and if anyone's interested in designing their own covers, I highly recommend doing this. It's just having like a, a cover inspiration. So even if it's not like something you would do, like, say you're writing contemporary romance, but something in YA, which might be younger than your readers, um, if something in that genre strikes your, your fancy, uh, capture it anyway, because there might be a way that you can incorporate it and brand yourself that way. It reminds me of when you think about doing a website. It's like catch, capturing examples of what you like so that you can refer to it later. And it's so hard to talk about these things that are visual in language, I find. Like, you know, it's got that little bit of fluffy business on it. And I really like that. But I kind of want it like you can't say that to a designer. You have to be like, I like this thing. But if you made it a little sharper, like this other thing, then that would be cool. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Like listeners are probably like, unless they know those books, they're not going to be like, wait, what are you talking about? They, They might not be able to visualize them. We'll link to them so they can see them. Yeah, well, I'll... I'll link, like, I'll send you a couple that I really like. But I mean, a lot of the genres, they kind of have traditional conventions. So obviously, with historical romance, you might see like the big gown, maybe a little bareback or a little bare shoulder. Bareback. I was like, bareback <laughs> riding. Woo. Woo. I did not well, know this was a whole genre. <laughs> well, ooh. And That's then probably, like, it probably is, though. Yeah. And then the guy in like a flowy shirt that's like kind of like, I've been watching a lot of Pride and Prejudice lately in different versions. So, you know, like the the floofy shirt, wet or whatever. Yeah, like the poet shirt with the fluffy cuffs and the whole thing. I'll see a lot, though. Like, that'll be more stock photography, but it's, like, digitally painted. So it's kind of, like, like it's it's done that way. And then on, like, contemporary romance, if it's, like, a a more erotic book, um, you'll see a lot more Manchester, obviously. Or a lot of, um, I feel like a lot more couples... Like, I don't think I saw as many, I'm trying to think like, 
back in the day, <laughs> these romance covers. I think it was more like sheets, but now there's actually more people on them. So that's kind of an interesting. Not just rumpled sheet with like yeah a weird title like Asunder. You're like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if I want my sheets to be known as Asunder. <laughs> like... <laughs> Scandal, uh, yeah. Or if you think of mystery novels where it's like that big, bold font, like deadly silence. And it's like just someone running in the woods. And you're like, is it silent? Is What? I don't. <laughs> but it, it conveys a, a feel, right? I feel like those are always in italics too, slightly. Yeah, either that or really um, kind of narrow sans serif font. Kind of like, I'm trying to think, I might be pronouncing this font wrong, like Babus, 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 you know, or, or um, League Gothic or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, so it's like that narrow font. And then I'm trying to see anything else that's really grabbing me. This is really big in general, but like the the script fonts where it's like people are like hand lettering. That's what mm-hmm. it is. The big swoopy, like people are taking to calligraphy or paint to paintbrushes or whatnot. The brush so, pens yes. that you see everybody kind of doing on Instagram, like the handwriting exactly. challenges and all like, look how amazing my brush writing is. <laughs> exactly. It's It's like that. So you'll see, sometimes you'll see that and it's like, either on white or black or anything like that or something similar. And it's just on top of it, the scene. Those are just a few things that I notice. Okay. So I want to hear about the weirdest books and covers you've seen, because I know you're a resource for this. (laughs) And as somebody who enjoys the realm of the weird, um, I did not know about the genre of like Justin Bieber had his gay virginity (laughs) stolen by a dinosaur. This is so shocking to me. I don't even know that there's a, there's dark corners of the reading world that I don't know about, but I suspect that you do based on our prior conversations. (laughs) Yeah. There's just, there's some interesting spots in, in Amazon, like Sasquatch erotica. I can't even say it correctly because it's just so such a strange thing to say. Sasquatch erotica. So specifically about the Sasquatch, like yeah, getting like, busy with a Sasquatch. I think they recently had to rename it, and I can't remember her name. I think it's like like her pen name starts with like Virginia or something. But it's like it used to be called something much much more vulgar, and then Amazon's like you have to change it. It's a moan for Bigfoot. Ah. <laughs> One of those. And then another one is, um, this is actually kind of funny because like, so I, I do work in an office and I have a day job. And so my colleagues and I, um, they were asking me similar, like how you asked, what are some weird things I've seen? And so I, I saw one and we read it as a group. So it became a group activity and it was just weird. It was called, a, I hope I'm getting this right. Taken by the haunted HDMI cable. Ooh, wow. And I read it and I, I get upset for the writing. <laughs> and it's just one of those where it's like, why am I getting upset about the writing? I should be getting upset about the plot. But it's... <laughs> but what did like, the cover look like on that one? Was it was there an HDMI cable on the cover? Or was it just like Matrix kind of data coming down the front? Or It was, um, it was a, a sultry blonde woman, kind of scantily clad. And an HDMI cable... It was kind of positioned almost like a snake. So it was very kind of serpentine uh, imagery. And then it was just the font was like, the font wasn't bad, but it was like bright white with a thick black border. So like how you might see in memes right? Um, on the internet is sort of like that because someone didn't understand contrast. Or, or they wanted like, the cover to be a meme. Yeah, or something. It was just, 
at one point Kindle removed it from my <laughs> Kindle removed it from my Kindle and I was upset because I was like, how am I going to have this thing? Ah, and then, then it was, it came back. And so I was, <laughs> but it was like, I swear it went through a couple different iterations, but that's the most recent cover I remember. Amazing. Yeah. So I know <laughs> you are starting to teach people about doing cover design. So yeah. how does that work? Because I'm sure there are tons of people out there writing Mm-hmm. who want to know, maybe at least take a stab at mocking up their own cover to work yes. with somebody. Yes. So I am um, I'm teaching a class right now. I'm working on it. And it's um, going to be about designing your own cover. And even if you just design it for yourself, there's something very powerful about having that mock-up while you're writing and while you're finishing uh, your book. That can, It can be invigorating. It can be inspiring. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm almost there. So I, I'm going to teach a class on it. Because a lot of it is just what we've talked about, you know, typography, choosing the right photos. I talk a lot about that or art either way. Uh, I'm also going to be talking about how to do maybe doing the, the paperback. It's a whole slew of things, but it's mostly design. Whether or not you want to design your own book cover, it'll be good. It's going to be great if you want to design a cover, but you maybe don't have the funds to do it. So working for a cover designer, yes, you can buy a pre-made cover, but it's going to be a pre-made cover. It's kind of like buying a template, um, which can be good or it might not. It's not your cover. So my course is going to be going more into how to do market research. What are your your buyers? What are your readers buying? So yeah, I'm going to be talking about identifying your dream reader and looking at what they're buying on Amazon, what, um, how you can maybe research that via Amazon or any bestseller list you're looking for, um, how to stay uh, on trend while standing out. So looking again for those markers, if you're writing motorcycle bad boys versus Nora Roberts or any sort of mystery. Um, we're also going to be looking at um, the best way to buy stock photography, maybe searching. So I know each retailer has their own kind of best practices for searching. So we're going to talk about that as well as making your typography stand out and making uh, very solid typography decisions as we were talking about no papyrus or comic sans or anything like that. And then also really kind of just how to get your cover on those retailers. So exporting your file for the retailers, whether that be a ebook cover or a paperback, and then also A-B testing. So that's kind of a marketing thing. But if you can design your own covers, you can, if something's not working, you can just redesign it again. Like it's super easy. You don't have to go back to the designer and repay them <laughs> to, to do it over. You can just be like, oh, that wasn't working. Let me just fire up Photoshop or Canva or whatever you're using and do it again. I think that's important to remember too, because you see this happening. I mean, obviously, you're not going to go and rip the covers off of physical books and replace them. But this is obviously an easier thing to do with digital books than it is with physical books. But you even see covers being redone on physical books yeah. a few years later to something more on trend. And I remember seeing again, I feel like we're talking about Jojo Moyes the whole time. But <laughs> I remember seeing a book from her being like, she just came out with a book. Girlfriend just had a book like three months ago. Where is this coming from? And then I looked and it was from like 2002. And I said, oh, they're just redoing the covers and trying to capitalize on her popularity. So you can do covers over at any point. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, think about like The Outsiders or Pride and Prejudice. Those are classics. 
and they're always coming out. Even like, even if you just go into Barnes and Noble or whatever store you have, like I was in there the other day, I swear to God, they had 10 different copies or editions of Pride and Prejudice, which amazes me because it's also in public use. So you can download it for free. You know, So it's like you can, there's so many different covers. So even if something's not working or say maybe a couple years down the line, you change your brand and you want all your, your backlist to match your brand, you can do that. In fact, there may be advantages to doing that. It seems yeah. like because companies will do new covers just as like a fun design thing. Like I've seen mm-hmm. all these penguin penguin is doing it all the time mm-hmm. with like the penguin classics or Alice in Wonderland or Little Women or all those ones that are really beautiful editions. And yeah, you can get Mm -hmm. it out of the library. No problem. You can get it for free online to read, but people want that designed look. Exactly. I'm thinking there's one series I really love. It's um, Karen Marie Monning's uh, Fever series. And so she kind of has like a second part of the arc. So I think it's like, like after the fifth book, it's, you can see the publisher kind of doesn't know how to market it so because they keep redoing the cover. They'll have like the girl on the cover and it's kind of more action oriented and then they redesigned it to have a Manchester cover. And you're like, what are you doing, publishers? Because the publisher's trying to figure out what's selling. So it's, um, they're kind of putting a lot of books out there for this to figure that out. But it's the same idea. If something's not selling, if your cover or your book is not selling, you can always try changing the cover and seeing if that's gonna help improve your sales or even like if you're like, you know what, I'm I want to stay on trend. Maybe it's two years later. Maybe there's a new way to design a vampire romance novel. I don't know something like that. And you want to make sure your your book from five years ago that was ro- a vampire romance can be seen by new eyes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm thinking too about um, different formats as well, having different mm-hmm. covers. Like I'm thinking about somebody like. Ben Aronovich, um, who wrote Rivers of London and that whole series. Mm -hmm. And they had, as they often do, something that drives me crazy is that probably because I like to identify as an Anglophile or I just am one. (laughs) And so I don't like it when they have different (laughs) names for books in the U.S. as if we don't understand it. Like... Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone versus the Sorcerer's Stone. And I'm like, I understand what the Philosopher's Stone is. Or I'm like, I get it. Don't talk down to me. Or um, in for again, for Ben Aronovich's first book, it's uh, the first book is Rivers of London in Mm -hmm. London, but it's Midnight Riot in the US. Like we got to be because those crazy colonials just they love a riot. I don't know what it is, but um, but he's an English writer. So I think that's how that happened. But their covers, I look at the covers and it's the same thing. I actually really, really love the audio edition of those books because mm-hmm. the narrator, he has a crazy name. It's like Colba, Colbrook Smith is his last name. And I can't think of the first one. Anyway, I love that narrator. He sounds just like Idris Elba, only oh, if possible, even a little grittier. <laughs> it's real awesome. So it matters even yeah. less about the cover since yeah. I'm listening to it. But they have these beautiful designs that are really graphic and gorgeous and then for the early versions of the book, they did this paperback kind of pulpy paperback cover that looks like yes. kind of one of those suspense books you'd buy in the airport to kind of pass the time because <laughs> your flight is late. And I'm yeah. like, this book deserves better than that. It's so good. Those books are so good. <laughs> so I'll link to both covers so everyone can decide for themselves. But I don't think, yeah. I think I like it when the design and the element and the title all work to kind of play up yeah. my intelligence. That's probably my own egotism. But rather than me feeling like a dumb dumb, like, oh, you just yeah. want a dumb dumb book. 
that goes back to speaking to your readers. Obviously, Caroline, if you're buying a book, you're not looking for the the pulpy cover um, where a lot of readers might, I don't know, maybe disagree with you, depending on what they're looking for. So like, I know I don't read motorcycle romance books, but I know which books to avoid if I don't want to read them. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, that's how those books find the readers that are meant for that book. True. It's like, it's, it's again, it's like dating. It's like dressing up for the person you want to go out with. You dress your Mm -hmm. book up so it'll have a nice time. And that the person they meet (laughs) will have a nice time too. Yeah, exactly. You want to keep those expectations on on level. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's all about like having the right expectation, but doing cool stuff within that constraint. And maybe it's even more possible to be creative within that constraint. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a good thing to learn also for people as they're writing stories. Definitely. So what are you reading now? I mentioned this earlier that I've been watching a lot of Pride and Prejudice. I don't know. like I'll go through. <laughs> I love Pride and Prejudice uh, so much. It's like one of those things where I feel like it doesn't match my brand that I read such things. But at the same time, the, the dialogue is so fresh, even a couple centuries later, right? But also, like, I was watching, like, Bridget Jones's Diary, Pride and Prejudice with Kiara Knightley, Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth. You know, like, I went through, like, all of them. Like, I had to, like binge all of it and so I was also reading it because I was like really curious also from like a screenwriting perspective like the the dialogue is pretty much taken from the, or lifted from the book and then Colin Firth just keeps coming back I know he's, oh. I also read it you don't mind but <laughs> yeah I know it's I read an article about that where it's like twice shy he's like I don't want to be known for that but then you came back <laughs> so it is what it is and then um what else am I reading I usually read, since it's a uh, colder month, It's uh, it, we just finished Christmas, I tend to read a lot of uh, the book equivalent of Hallmark romance movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I like those, like, because a lot of the authors I, I work with tend to write, like, sexier, steamier things. But I feel like it's, like, because I'm so exposed to all that Manchester cover <laughs> and whatnot, like, when I get down to it, I'm like, I just want to read about a cabin in the woods and there's some sweaters. And maybe those sweaters disappear after a minute. I don't know. <laughs> like, maybe it gets warm by the fire. Exactly. Yeah, I don't need to be run over by a... a a motorcycle in order to have some cozy times i feel like we we i I talk a lot of shit about motorcycles but no they really do like they have their audience (laughs) i'm just not it (laughs) i am sure they do i am perpetually amazed i mean in some ways that's something that's so great about people being able to write what they Mm want to read is that there's a lot more out there for more people to read rather than you know a smaller group of people deciding like this what's this is what you get to read and if you don't like it too bad now that yeah. is so not the case anymore. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I love about self-publishing. You can find your super niche genre. And if it's not there, you can write it. <laughs> and there's probably somebody who's been waiting for it. Yes, exactly. If you want to read it, there's probably someone else out there too. So when is your course starting? I'm going to put links to yes. your information and how everyone can find you Absolutely. with the show notes. But um, when when should they be looking for it? So I'm going to launch kind of a baby bird pricing. That's what I'm calling it. Uh, Hopefully in February or March, depending on, um, I want to make sure that it all looks good because again, I'm a designer. So I want to make sure that my course about design also is well designed. Fair enough. Yeah. It's probably going to be towards the end of February, beginning of March uh, when I'll open it up for that pricing. And then I'm hoping to launch it end of March, early April. Fun. 
Yeah. That'll be good. So if you are working on your writing goals now, then you can, when it gets a little sticky and you're like, ugh, do I want to keep going? I'm Mm -hmm. really having a hard time motivating. You can diverge into cover and then have a little motivational cover process so that the book feels a little bit more real. Yes. And that, I swear, that will boost whatever glow because I feel like there's always that part in the editing session where you're like this is shit everything I'm writing is horrible this is just really going to help boost your esteem because I think sometimes yeah whenever I'm writing I mean I'm working on something now and it's like you sit there and write these scenes or you write these sections or you write this stuff and you're like is this even going to end up in there is it ever going to be a real book is it ever going to be a whole thing and Mm -hmm. I think to me a cover and visualizing looking at a cover really does make it feel like a real thing yep exactly so Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I know people are going to freak out about the links for fonts <laughs> and the ability to oh, <laughs> avoid Papyrus and Comic Sans now that we've shamed everyone. Maybe if oh. anyone's been doing Papyrus and Comic Sans covers, I'm sorry, but I really you think can you redesign. can convey. Yeah, you can redo them. You can rebrand them and, and you can do something even more fun yeah. with your cover going forward. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and keep us posted when it launches so that we can get information out to everybody when it's time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Caroline. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure and check out storyarcana.com because the class is open for registration through January 13th. Class will be starting on January 16th and it'll run for three weeks. It's going to be awesome. So hope to see you there. Thanks again, and remember to visit our sponsor, Pretty by Post, to check out their gorgeous indie card, greeting cards, or stationary subscriptions. Remember, you can visit prettybypost.com slash bookdoctor, that's bookdr, to learn how you can get free shipping on the lifetime of your subscription. Thank you for listening to The Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading. 